0: Our scripture reading this morning is from Revelation, chapter 7, verses 9 to 17. After this I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white, with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, singing, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, robed in white, and where have they come from? I said to him, Sir, you are the one that knows. And then he said to me, These are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason they are before the throne of God and worship him day and night within his temple and the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them, nor any scorching heat, for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes." The word of God for the people of God.
1: Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, send your Spirit upon us, that as your scripture has been read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what it is you have to say to us this day. Amen. So this weekend, Jimbo and I were watching a movie. Surprise, it was an action movie. That's my favorite kind of movie. Action movie um, called Redemption. It's an action movie with Jason Statham, you know that actor, right? Playing the main character, Joey Jones. So Joey Jones befriends a nun, actually, when he's living on the streets, and she is serving soup to um, all of those without homes there. And at one point in the movie, Joey asks the sister to take pictures of him, photographs. He would like to send them to his nine-year-old daughter, who has never met him. So in the scene, he's in a nice suit, but you can tell he's kind of uncomfortable. He's tugging on the bottom of his shirt and his cuffs, and he's kind of trying to pose in front of this fountain. And he looks kind of scary, and he says, how do I look? And she says, you should smile. But then he says, but do I look like a good man? I want her to see these pictures and see me as a good man. Despite his choices or his mistakes or how many guys he beats up in the course of the movie, he wants to be seen as good, even if he's done bad things. And don't we all want to be seen for who we are, not the sum of our choices or our missteps or the car we drive or the part of town we live in, just for who we are, beyond the outward appearance, unique and valuable. Today we finish up our sermon series on how we see others, how we might see ourselves, and ultimately how God sees all of us. It's appropriate then that today is actually Transfiguration Sunday. In the lectionary calendar, if we were following that, which I often don't, um, today is Transfiguration Sunday, and the scripture would be from Mark chapter 9. In the Gospel of Mark, in this pericope, Jesus takes Peter and James and John on a hike up a hill, away from everybody. And while he is there, according to that scripture, he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling bright, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us set up three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what to say. He was so frightened. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice, This is my son. The beloved listened to him. Suddenly when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. That's the story of the transfiguration. Now Jesus ends up telling them, don't tell anybody what you have seen. And they spend a little while talking amongst themselves, What is it that we did see? They had seen Jesus for the fullness of who and what he was. Fully human, yes, but also divine, also the Son of God. Even though I'm not sure they fully, fully understood that. And why would Jesus reveal himself in such a way, especially to just these three? I think it's probably because he knew that humanity is frail and limited, and it is difficult to understand Jesus. Even the most imaginative of his disciples failed to see Jesus for all he truly was. They thought he was a great man. And at that time, many traditions had great men as leaders, and often kings were referred to as sons of God. Even in this Jewish tradition, they had these great leaders who had really intimate, close relationships with God, leaders like Moses and Elijah. But Jesus was opening the door to a completely radical understanding of him as not just a great leader, but the actual Son of God. Bringing a good news that would be difficult to understand, but that was for the whole world and for all people. In this ancient world, in a time where lines were drawn pretty thickly and good equated following the law, Jesus was about to welcome some pretty bad people into the community and he would declare them good because Jesus saw beyond what others saw. And that was about to ruffle some feathers. That's a whole other story. We'll get into that during Lent. Now in our scripture today, this book of Revelation was written by John, maybe the writer of the Gospel of John, maybe the disciple that stood on that mountain with Jesus. Probably not, but sometimes tradition says it's the same man. He has a vision. He has a revelation a vision of a new heaven and a new earth, ordered in the way that God would have it be. And from this vision, you heard Nancy read, After this I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white. With palm branches in their hands, they cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. So John is having this beautiful, scandalous vision of people from all times and all places gathering together as the people of God. They, too, have on dazzling white robes. Remember Jesus' dazzling white robe on the mountain with his disciples? And not only that, the angels and the elders celebrate and praise this great, diverse multitude. And they are all crying out that salvation belongs to God. Salvation belongs to God. As one commentary says, salvation does not belong to any one particular group or what they do to maintain their group identity. Salvation belongs to God and God alone and all are recipients of God's grace. Because of this, we are also all givers of God's grace. Our sameness does not unite the community of God. But unity is based on the love of God and Christ alone. For this reason, our differences do not need to be erased, but can be celebrated. In other words, it's God's prerogative to include all people into the fold, into the community, into the arms of grace and mercy, whether we would welcome them or not. So this last week, excuse me. I always forget my props. This last week some of us gathered for the quarterly pastor's book club to discuss this book called Multiplying Love by Paul Chil- Chilcote, I think. Now in traditional Reverend Sandy style, I had not actually read this book, but I thought it was a really cool title and I liked the cover. Um so anyway, as we got into it, <laughs> we realized that it was actually written as a counterpoint to another book that was published in September of 2022 called Multiplying Methodism. Multiplying Methodism was a book that appealed to congregations to disaffiliate from the United Methodist Church and instead join the breakaway and traditional Global Methodist Church, which is a new Methodist denomination. Some of you may remember me sharing this past summer after our annual conference session about the disaffiliation of a few of our Mountain Sky Conference churches. It was heartbreaking, difficult. Essentially, and this is my own understanding and paraphrasing of the disaffiliation argument, essentially the argument there is that the full inclusion of LGBTQ plus individuals now this is not my argument, by the way, is a symptom of a deeper problem of the breakdown of biblical understanding leading to the collapse of civilization. And I don't think I'm overstating the drama here. Using such fatalistic terms is a way to get people scared and to maybe start listening. At least I believe that is a tactic that was used um, during this divisive time. And many churches have left the United Methodist Church. Paul Chilcote was giving the argument that actually instead of Uh, multiplying Methodism, we should be multiplying love. What is interesting to me in the rhetoric around disaffiliation is the idea that Big Tent Theology, which is often used to refer to the United Methodist Church as a Big Tent Church, meaning that we have the capacity to include variations and differences, or that the vision of diverse people gathered at the same table is heretical to those who wish for a more homogenous church. I always thought of it as a blessing. I read here that it's it's pejorative. Sometimes people say that, oh, that big tent church. And to be against a big tent church to me is completely unbiblical. It's just the way I see it. The authors of Multiplying Methodism, quote, We believe separations are sometimes necessary and even justified. And yet we hear today that the biblical witness is that Christ breaks down dividing walls and that the Spirit unifies all people. So the challenge for us today, and at the conclusion of this sermon series, is to consider in our own hearts how we see others. How we see ourselves, and ultimately how God sees us. Our vision is often narrow, blurry, dim, but God has a vision that is bright and beautiful and multi-hued. May we continually seek the revealing of the true nature of God, who nurtures every single one of us and calls us good, unique, valuable. And beloved, I pray these have been the words of the Lord for us this day. Amen.